Well, hey, good morning, Antioch. Thank you for being here. My name is, uh, my name is Joe Polino, and I'm excited to get to share this morning from God's Word. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors on staff and had the, the joy to be on, um, on staff for the past six years and uh, been a part of this church for seven. Met my wife here. We have um, two wonderful, beautiful little girls. Uh, Ellis is two and Everly is about nine months old. Um, and this week, if you hear my voice, Ellis got sick and then I think she passed it on a little bit to me. So if you're uh, bothered a little bit by the scratchiness or the sniffles, uh, just pray for me, and uh, hopefully your, your ears will get adjusted, and who knows, maybe I'll be healed in the middle of it. Well, that'd be pretty cool. Um, more of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, so when I was taking uh, my two-year-old to the doctor this week, um, we were in the pediatrician's office, and she just had a cold, so we were waiting there for the doctor, and in the hallway, I noticed that there was another girl who was having an eye test done. Uh, one of those where you stand on a certain marker, and then you're asked to repeat, what are the objects that you see on these flashcards? So she was five, so I don't even know if she uh, knew all of her, well, I guess you would know all of your letters, but for whatever reason, instead of the eye chart, they were doing flashcards, because I could hear her, I couldn't see the cards, but I could hear her describe different animals or numbers, but then often she would you know, have one hand over here and say, oh, I can't see that one. Uh, it's too small. Uh, and you could just tell that she was struggling. She had bad eyes um, in, in general. And there was a part of me as a dad that just thought about my daughter and had compassion for her. I was like, man, that's, I, that's, that's unfortunate that she has um, bad eyesight. And I thought about Ellis, and I hope she doesn't have bad eyesight. But then also I was thinking, man, how uh, mean of a trick would it be if the nurse or the doctor who was giving the eye test was saying, you got it, whenever it was an elephant, but really, you know, she said lion, or if it was a three and they, she said it was a five, like that would be mean, because she would think that she's thing, seeing things correctly, but in reality, she's not. And uh, that's kind of a, a picture of the parable that we're going to go into today of God the Father, um, through Jesus in this teaching, is wanting to give truth to the vision that, that that generation that Jesus is talking to is not seeing things correctly. Uh, they are, are, are missing who Jesus is. And I think for us today, um, man, I am in this situation a lot. I don't know if you've ever been um, there where you're, you're looking for guidance from the Lord for something. You're asking questions. Where do I go? What, what do I do? How do I navigate life in this certain situation? And we need clarity. We're looking for clarity. And I think in this parable, we're going to get some clarity uh, on three things. Um, so we're going to get our vision checked, is the title of the sermon, if you're taking notes. Check your vision. And then I think we're going to see three things that I think is going to be helpful to us as a body. One is that God is not hiding his light from us. God is not hiding his light from us. The second one is that there is an actual command for us to take care of our eyes. Take care of our eyes is instructions from Jesus. And the last one, uh, which is the one that I have been wrecked by this week, is that Jesus was cast into the outer darkness for us. So that's the last one for us to ponder. That sound good to you guys? 
Okay, here we go. So um, if you have your Bible or Bible app, if you can turn to Luke 11, that's where we're going to be at. We have been in the Gospel of Luke as a church for a while, about a year and a half or so. Um, so uh, if you're like me and like road trips, you're just like, hey, this is great. I'll just continue on this pace for about five years. If you're like my wife and doesn't like to stop off on, you know, all the little stops and the Cracker Barrels along the way, uh, she just wants to take the plane and get there so we can be there, um, we'll hang in there because we're, we're going to speed up a little bit through the summer um, through the book of Luke because in this section of Luke, it's called the travel narrative by biblical scholars because Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem with disciples and he is teaching and he is proclaiming the kingdom of God and he's also saying uh, parables, these riddles or simple stories to convey truths. And we're calling this series Right Side Up because a lot of the truths might seem backwards to the beliefs of the day or even to us, but Jesus is actually turning our picture of God's character right side up, or he's reversing what we might think uh, is true or good through these parables. So, um, Pastor Zach, a couple weeks ago, did the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, and then last week we looked in the Gospel of Luke at God as a good father in that parable uh, and a good friend, and so this week we're looking at the parable um, of how the, the lamp of the body. So that's going to be in verse 33 through 36. In verse 33, Jesus says, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of, the, of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full, as, full of light as when a lamp shines on you. Now, on the first read, it's kind of hard to understand. Honestly, when I was given the, hey, would you preach this? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then read it, I was like, huh? Like, there's some parts that are, that are clear. Let's look at the parts that are clear. Verse 33, it says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. That's pretty straightforward. Um, my wife and I, when we were uh, first, you know, engaged and married and, and picking out the furniture to have in our home. Uh, that was one of the first healthy discussions we had of what was going to stay and what didn't stay. Uh, she wanted things that were the color mustard. I thought that was a bad idea. Um, I had never heard, I've never heard of mid-century modern. Um, fast forward, she won, and I'm so glad because she knows interior design way better than I do. But no matter how out there the trends go, you're never going to put uh, a lamp behind a drape as like something to be like feng shui or trendy. Like you're not going to do it and you're not going to put recessed lighting into an attic. You're just because you don't go there. Um, and so in, in the same way, uh, some of your translations might say that you don't put a lamp in a cellar or under a basket. It's the same idea. No one congregates in these days in cellars. You might bring a lamp to get something and come back, but you don't put a lampstand there. So 
what is Jesus saying by this pretty obvious statement that you don't light a lamp and then hide it? Well, we have to read up a little bit higher and know the context of what Jesus is doing. Um, And so let's go to verse 29, which is just the section right above. And it says in verse 20, uh, uh, chapter 11, 29, it says, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. All right. So let's just pause right there, because those are strong words from Jesus. He's basically saying, you're getting the eye test wrong. (laughs) Your eyes are bad. And actually, the word wicked for generation is the same word used for unhealthy um, when it's describing the eye down below. What is he saying by the only sign you will receive is the sign of Jonah? What he's saying is, is that Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament that was sent to Nineveh, which was an evil city, the capital of Assyria. And when he preached one reluctant sentence that said, if you don't turn, then if you don't obey God, if you don't turn from your wickedness, then God will destroy you. Uh, then he's going to destroy you. So he was warning them. It was just one sentence. It was one sentence or, or a couple of sentences, and that was it. And all of Nineveh, which if you um, dig into the history a little bit of Assyria, they were notorious for, for savage torture. Um, anyone that they would conquer, um, there was a practice that they would have slaves that would then carry on um, sticks and stakes, the heads of those of family members that they had just, you know, it's, it's, it's dark, it's evil. And that's who God sent Jonah to proclaim mercy. And, uh, and Jonah didn't want to go at first because, uh, one, he might be killed, but two, they were enemies of Israel. So why, why would God want to extend mercy to this, to this people? Um, and he gave a reluctant sermon, and they repented. They saw that Jonah was from God. And Jesus later on um, in, in this passage says, the men of, in verse 32, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And someone greater than Jonah is here. In other words, the lamp is me. The lamp in the middle of the room is Jesus and his teachings. I'm not hiding is what God is saying here. This is, this is part of the parable. And Jesus actually likes to use this phrase often. In Luke 8, he actually used this phrase um, to describe that there's, you, don't put a light, you don't light a lamp and then hide it, um, but instead you, you put it where everyone can see. And then he says, therefore, be careful what you hear. In other parts of the scripture, it's compared to uh, be careful that you don't serve money over God. So he's using this in different, different settings, and he's saying here that you're trying to see who I am, and you're asking for a sign. You're asking for, um, for me to prove to you, but, but the Ninevites saw that Jonah was from God, and yet you don't see that I'm from God. And there's someone greater here. And then he talks about the Queen of Sheba, who if uh, the Queen of Sheba uh, in what, would, what would probably be like 
modern-day Yemen traveled all the way up to Israel just to see if the stories were true about Solomon's wisdom and his wealth and the prosperity that was happening there. So she traveled all that way, questioned him, saw everything, and she saw that Solomon was God's man and that Yahweh was the one true God. And there's someone, Jesus is saying, greater than Solomon. The wisdom in which Jesus has is greater, and you're not seeing. In other words, I'm not hiding, but you aren't seeing. You aren't seeing. You guys tracking me? You, you, you following me? So what are some, some implications then for us? Well, I think one of the implications that, that I think of, of God not hiding, is, and he's shedding his light, um, is, man, that's, that's really encouraging to me. Because think about it, if Jesus is the light, then he's coming to us. And, and what, what the, the people's posture um, who are questioning him are basically saying, you need to, like, submit to our teaching and instructions, but Jesus is saying, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I've come, and you need to listen to me <laughs> and submit to my teachings. It would be as if in the solar system, uh, you know, we have all the planets orbit, orbiting around the sun, and for the earth to go, well, hey, uh, I think we actually have a lot going on here. I think we're actually the star of the show, so why don't you instead bend around me it wouldn't work. Uh, you see this picture up here. It's not in scale to distance, but in size. It is in scale. I and mean, you can see Earth, the tiny blue dot. Um, that's third from the sun. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the, the day star, the morning star is here. And he's shining brightly for them to see, but they can't see. They can't see. And he's telling them that you're missing it. But he doesn't just stay there. He tries to give them help on how to see. So if you, just a second, let me get my place. Actually, I have a few scriptures that I would like to share before we move on, okay? That I think illuminate what Jesus' intentions were in coming. So one is in Mark 4, 16, and this is what... Man, this is what the people are experiencing as Jesus is going through entire regions of Jerusalem and Judea, and he's like banishing sickness. He, he, they can't even stay in villages. He is, he, he is bringing life wherever he goes to people who are in darkness. It says in Mark 4, 16, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light Dawn. This is Mark quoting Isaiah saying, this is what Jesus was doing. So he was coming to rescue people who were in darkness. But it wasn't just to the Jews. In Isaiah 49.6, I love this passage because it connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. He says, it is too light a thing for me just to send my servant, Jesus, to the tribes of Jacob. But I also want to send, uh, I will make you as a light for all nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so the light of God is, 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 a, is to rescue from darkness, but it's also more generous and merciful to extend the, to even our enemies 
in a way that was hard for them to understand. So that's the kind of light that God's bringing. That's the kind of good news gospel that Jesus is bringing. And then uh, the next one I want to point out is, is that he has not just a uh, rescue for uh, people and for inclusion of different nations, but also for individuals in John 8.12, this is what Jesus says. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, when I was in uh, college, I went to, I went to Baylor and uh, I worked in um, Waco after I graduated. And so in my like 20 to 21 range, um, I uh, did what I think is in some ways a rites of passage and lived with like eight other guys uh, to try to have my rent as low as possible. Um, and, uh, and so that was great, uh, minus the rats, which also crowded the place. Um, it's true, there were plenty of rats. Um, but as we were uh, living together as an introvert, it was not a great setting for me all the time. And so I would need to find creative ways to get out of the house in order to clear my head. And uh, it was also around this time that I really felt like the penny dropped, so to speak, on who Jesus was. And it, it began to like, man, I, I want to follow God, not just because I intellectually believe this to be true or certain doctrines, but like there's something happening in my heart where I'm being warmed to trust him and want to follow him. Um, and so I'm at, the, in, and I'm at the beginning of that stage, and I don't know where to go. So I would, in Waco, drive about 15 minutes outside of the city limits uh, when it was dark. And this is especially when I was going through career decisions, relationship decisions, just asking for guidance. And I would park in a cornfield uh, in pitch dark, and I would get on top of my Ford Explorer um, and... Uh, as I looked into the sky, I would, you know, just ask God questions, and I would try to connect with him, but really, what I was looking at was more of like, God, can you be my life coach? <laughs> can you help me get from A to B? Well, what should I do in this certain situation? Uh, and I would even ask about a particular relationship or, or, or career path and uh, see like a shooting star and be like, is that a yes? You know, is it, <laughs> should I ask her out? You know, should I, should, I, should I go into this career, you know? And then you follow it and it's a satellite and you're like, well, I don't, I don't know if that counts or not. But, um, but, but in that searching process when I was trying to go through career and, and ask those big life questions and in some ways, we're never done re-examining those things, but at that real pivotal time in my life, uh, I was trying to get clarity on uh, what is the most important thing to me. And, and in similar ways to how when it's night out, but you're in the city, you can't really see the stars. You have to drive out a longer way uh, in Dallas to get there. Um, some of the lesser lights of the city can blind us from, from what's true treasure, or what's true value in the stars. And the same thing can happen with Jesus. Same thing can happen of us getting clouded. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, I believe today that God wants to help us recalibrate our vision uh, as a church, as individuals, then also to recognize the light that he's put within us for others um, as we move from here. And so in verse 34, we're going to go to the next part where Jesus has already said, I'm not hiding, I'm here, but 
take care of your eyes in verse 34. So in verse 34, he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Okay, this is the part that sounds a little bit like Yoda to me, you know. Um, I can see the light within you is darkness or something. I don't know. Um, I did that wrong, but uh, I need to watch Star Wars again. But basically, what he's saying, well, let's start with the things that are clear, and then we'll go from there. So he's saying the eye is the lamp of your body. So the first lamp in the parable, if you can follow this, is Jesus. He's talking about a second lamp. He's talking about a different lamp. He's talking about our eyes. And there's good lamps, so to speak, and there's bad ones. Uh, There's good eyes and bad eyes. The good eyes are ones that receive light and your whole body benefits from it. The bad eyes are ones that cannot receive the light and your whole body uh, is negatively affected by that. It's not hard to understand. Uh, If someone is blind, they are not able to benefit from the light no matter how much is around them. You know, I think about in baseball, even if you don't know baseball and you're uh, thinking about um, how can I help this hitter? You just say, keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> like, no matter what, you know, I can't tell you how many times I'd go to a hitting coach growing up, and they were just like, keep your eye on the ball. I'm like, thank you. Why? Because if you're able to see, your whole body will be able to then make contact with whatever you're looking at. But if you have a bad eye, you're not able to see the ball, you can't follow through and, and do what you're intended to do. So Jesus is, is talking about we need to take care of our eyes. And then this part where it says, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. We will get to that. But first, what is a good eye and what is a bad eye? What is, uh, where in scripture do we, do we see this? And in Matthew 20, there's a parable that describes someone who has a bad eye that I think will help us see for ourselves how our vision is. Today. So in that parable in Matthew 20, uh, Jesus says that there's a master that goes out and hires workers. So he hires workers and they agree upon the same wage. And, you know, so he goes out in the morning, he goes out in the midday, goes out in the afternoon, and then around the 11th hour in the evening, um, which is interesting work, I don't know what he's doing then, but he's going out and he's hiring another guy. And at the end of it all, when, he's pa- when the master is passing out wages, uh, the person who worked the longest is paid the same as the one that's pay- that, that worked the least. So the 11th hour guy, so to speak, or the one that's later, the master uh, decides to give them, let's just say, 100 bucks when the person who was there from 8 a.m. also gets 100 bucks. And so let's see what what the reaction is in Matthew 20. It'll be on the screen. So the master says to the servant who's upset that the one who worked less gets the same, says, take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. It is not lawful for me to do what I, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious or evil, or bad, because I am 
generous, or good. So here in this parable, the person who's upset at God's generosity has a bad eye. And think about for us today, what, is, what, what does he think is bad? That it's, it's not fair? Well, they agreed on the wages, so it was fair. You said that you'd pay me this, and you did pay me this. But there's a greediness, there is a selfishness of saying, I deserve more, and God, you're holding out on me, or you're not, um, you're, you're too generous or too merciful. And I think the, the thing that I would um, just say for us uh, as a church, and maybe for you, is how do you view God's grace in your life? How do you view um, his mercy? How do you view the gifts in your life? Do you view it as beautiful? Uh, are you celebrating other people's successes? Are, 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 are you celebrating the testimonies in their life? Or are you kind of saying, man, God, where's mine? Where's my breakthrough? Where's my, where's my answers to prayer? If you do, then you have a bad eye that's not receiving light. You have a bad eye. So what is a good eye then? Well, it's one that sees that and celebrates. It's one that, that rejoices that we have a God that, man, look how, much, I, look, how, look how gifted that person is. Man, God has given them so much gifting. I don't have that much, but that's awesome. God's generous towards that, that girl, that guy in that particular way. Uh, there's a good eye to see the, the generosity and the goodness of God and the contentment at the character of God. There's a trust. There's a trust. Okay, so that is a good, a good eye versus bad eye. The other portion... Sorry, my iPads. Here we go. You guys still with me? Okay. So the other part of having a good eye or bad eye is, is making sure that what you're focusing on is actually the greatest thing of value or treasure. So Jesus uses this parable of the lamp and the eye and make sure when talking about God and money, you can't serve two masters. So that's another litmus test of, you know, these things aren't bad, they're just secondary the things of being able to have uh, security by having an emergency fund, like Dave Ramsey says, or having uh, a home. Like, those things aren't bad, but if, those, if your vision of success uh, includes all these different possessions and, and, and career, but it does not have at its, at its peak um, to, to, to love and honor God no matter what comes, then you're in temptation or you're in a place where your vision is skewed. And, uh, you know, when I was in that time of asking God to be a life coach for me, like I just described uh, in Waco, um, I, I was asking God to, to, to boost my success because what I really wanted wasn't stuff. It, it really wasn't a salary. Um, what I wanted was deeper. What I wanted was to know that I'm significant, to know that I'm I'm accepted. You know that I, I've made it, you know? And, and here's the other thing that if you uh, look at Jesus' ministry, there's several times he's tested. And what he's tested on is, why don't you just fix things right now if you are who you say you are? Why don't you just, and that's the, the, probably the number one question for someone who's not a Christian 
It's like, how is God good in the midst of all this mess, in the midst of all this brokenness? And Jesus, in this testing, he's saying that, I know that there's a problem that's deeper than the questions that you're asking. It's a problem that I'm addressing by going to Jerusalem where I know there's going to be a cross and I am, I'm finishing my father's business because the issues of our day that are the, the most significant and have the most suffering are matters of the heart. Where um, <laughs> the good news of the gospel is that God has come near um, when, when we have turned away from him and there's sin and brokenness, he's come near to bring us back into relationship with him. He's come, he's come near to bring us back into relationship. And, and, but we can miss it. Our eyes can be so, uh, we can know that in our head, but we can miss it in our hearts. When I was in college, how I even came to, to faith really was that I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I would probably say that I ascribed to all the doctrines, and that makes sense to me. But when I was in college, I saw the first person that had, he had in his eyes the peace of God. I don't know how to describe it, but he was the first transformed life I'd ever encountered. I knew him in my fraternity, uh, and he was a fun-loving, uh, party-animal-type guy. And his name was Adam. And then I came back from a summer, and he was still the fun-loving, like, humorous, big personality guy, but he had a peace on his life. There was some light coming out of him, and I said, what happened to you? You're acting differently. There, you know, the fruits of the Spirit were coming off him, love, joy, peace, patience. And he was still in process, but he was just like, man, there's this Jesus, I was like, no, no, I know Jesus. <laughs> like, what happened to you? You know, and, and, and in that, I had in my head what, what the right answers were. But in my heart, man, I was distant. And God was trying to get down deeper in their own hearts, that into my heart, that there's more. There's more. Um, on, the, on the phrase, see to it then, that the, the light that within you is not actually darkness, that's, that's not possible. I mean, think about it, like darkness is the absence of light. You know, we're not talking about black lights in 1970s, you know. It's, we're, we're, we're saying, like, don't be deceived because sin is deceitful. And the, the greatest deceptions that Satan does is he comes as an angel of light. He comes in the form of something that looks enticing and then flips it. And uh, just in praying this week, I, this, I just feel like this is a word for our church. And if you hear nothing else, like, or maybe it doesn't minister to you, but I was weeping and my kids were checking on me like, are you okay, Dad? I'm like, yeah, okay. God's so great. Um, but uh, as, as I was thinking about this, I thought about, uh, a book in the Chronicles of Narnia series that C.S. Lewis um, authored, and it's The Silver Chair. And in the book of The Silver Chair, uh, just to kind of give you a brief synopsis, Aslan, the lion, the god figure, sends in two young uh, children to help save this kingdom, essentially. And at the climax of the story, uh, the children... 
uh, are there with their, their band of, um, their cohort of, there's a prince, and then there's this other weird character named Puddleglump. And Puddleglump is kind of like a swamp creature, and it's, 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 it's you know, it's, it's out there, it's fantasy. So, um, but as they're, they're, they're facing this green witch, which is the, um, she's the ruler of the underworld, and she's casting a spell on them. And they know that something's happening, but they're forgetting, uh, they're forgetting what above ground looks like. They're forgetting what Narnia looks like, and they can't describe it. And so she's playing this spell. She's strumming, and they end up not being able to really describe what Narnia was like or what Narnians were you know, the, the citizens were like, and they end up thinking, it's just a figment of my imagination. And so, and then she goes through, and someone says, well, Aslan is good. And then the witch said, well, tell me about him. And like, well, it's kind of like a big cat, and he's good. And they're like, oh, it sounds like a, a cute animal. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And, and before you know it, almost all of their excuses, they go through the sun, the stars, and all that's left as the witch is deconstructing their faith and deconstructing in their mind um, that it's just left with this underworld and that's it. But Puddleglump, uh, in a last ditch effort, steps in the witch's fire, burns his foot, comes back to his senses, and he basically says, Even if what you're saying is true, our play world is way better than anything that you have to offer. And it kind of wakes them up that we're made for more than this. Why would this be in our heads if, if this is something that we're not made for? You know, why? And, and, and it's similar with us with, with heaven, with knowing uh, who, who God is, with meeting with him. Uh, there's something that we're made for, guys. And just in, uh, in this time in history, uh, there is a sense that progress has moved past the Christian faith in some circles. And... I just I I I, I want to listen to it. I want to um, I just want to laugh. <laughs> I really do. I mean, think about if progress does achieve. Let's just say it does. Let's just say it does achieve everything that it hopes to. And there's a utopia on earth. There's peace on earth. They figure out the secret to to eternal life and all this. You know, living forever and all. We would live in these. Uh, utopian societies, and we would still be broken, and we would still be empty because we do not have the light of God within us. And they, and there are good things to pursue. Don't get me wrong on on uh, you know social activist activism and and making our city and serving the poor and reducing suffering. But the most important suffering that Jesus is addressing, and that we get to celebrate in the gospel is separation from God. And in the gospel, that gap is closed and we're on a journey. We're on a journey that we are justified by the gospel. We're made new and that we're being sanctified and that there's going to be a glorification coming. So I just felt like the word for our church and the word for us is let's be puddle glumps. Let's be puddle glumps. Like really, like, I, and I, I've caught myself, even with my neighbors, just being honest, thinking about sharing the gospel. It's like, if I try to rescue someone that doesn't want to be rescued, isn't that called like assault? <laughs> you know, 
And I'm like going over to my neighbor and, and having that conversation when he, when he doesn't look like he needs it. It's kind of like the enchantment of the witch just saying, he's fine. It's okay. You really, it's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. And that person might be physically and, you know, circumstantially in a good place. And they might not see their need, but they have it. They have a need for God to be the light within. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. Come on. Hmm. There's this quote by a guy named David Cecil I want to share just on the idea of, uh, of progress. And David Cecil, he, he was a part of a British society that was called the British Socialist Movement. And they believe that over time, through education and culture, that the injustices in the world, we'd, we'd move past it. It's, it's not a matter of um, a problem within. It's more of a matter of there's a lack of information and there's a lack of care. But then after uh, the World War II and the Holocaust, where Germany, one of the powerhouse, most educated, cultural nations, did this atrocity, here's what David Cecil said. The philosophy of progress had led us to believe that the savage and primitive, primitive was behind us, but it turns out that it was within us. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he's coming to take care of the sin that's within us. He's coming to take care of, of when we originally, in the garden, Adam and Eve, they looked at the fruit, they were tempted, and they disobeyed God because it was pleasing to the eyes, and it, and it was good for wisdom. We turned inward. Our eyes became wicked. Our eyes became selfish. And so today... As, we're, as, as I'm closing, as we're about to talk about how Jesus overcome that, overcame that sin within us, um, man, here's one just litmus test for you on, on do you have a good eye or not. And even in preaching this message, I was having to preach this to myself this week, is that if your uh, lens is that you're thinking about yourself, then you're thinking about others, and then thinking about God, in order of uh, priority, then I would propose to you that you might be in danger of having poor vision. Because then if you think about yourself, and you think about others, think about God, the farther something gets away in a situation, then the smaller it gets. And so your problems become big, and God becomes small. But instead, if you flip that, and you say, okay, I'm struggling right now. <laughs> God, what do you say about that? How do you address this need of acceptance and significance in my heart? Okay, now how can I go share that with others? And then you think about yourself. That is a, that is a way for us to have good prescriptions, so to speak, on our glasses. You guys tracking with me? Okay, well, we're going to bring it home. And this, this is what I was boohooing about this week I, and my girls were so concerned about. It was this idea that how much God has gone through, how much Jesus went through for, for me. And it's just, it blows my mind. And it's this last point that Jesus was cast out into, this utter, into the utter darkness. In, in 
studying and listening the different sermons, uh, hell in Scripture is described as fire or um, that's one of the imageries. But actually a place that it's described even more is a place of outer darkness. It's a place of outer darkness. And uh, Timothy Keller says it's not about eternal life and length of life. If you think about some of the movies where someone lives forever, it always turns out to be a curse because there's lack of relationship. It's not about length. You're going to exist one place or another eternally. It's about being around the light. It's being around God himself. And, um, and on the last hour, as Christ was hanging on the cross, uh, it describes that when that happened, that there was darkness that fell over the entire land in the middle of the day. What was happening? And then Jesus cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting Psalm 22. He's quoting Psalm 22, and I want to read that real quick, just the beginning. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. What's happening? He is being separated. He's being cast in the outer darkness away from relationship with God. And more than any of the physical torture and whips and nails in his hands, more than the relational uh, hurt of his disciples betraying him, more than the slander, more than him having the power to step down, but he chooses not to out of obedience for love of the Father, then the Father... Then the Father casts him out in utter darkness for us so we don't have to experience that. And I don't know why, it's just, it's been just a different way seeing how great is the love of Christ for us. How great is the love of Jesus for you today to go through that when he was the one that did not deserve any of it and we deserved it. And so that's the hope of the gospel this morning, that, that, that he was cast out into the utter darkness so that we might be brought in. And that's, that's how I want to close. So if you want to stand up, we're going to go to God. And in a second, I, I just want to take some time for us to, to get before Holy Spirit and say, is there any place in my life that I am guarded or against? Because another picture of the eye is that of blinds or drapes. It's not that you can will yourself to see good things. It's that are you able to turn to the light and be exposed in places that are dirty? In other words, if you have that room or that storage place that you're just like, don't go in there, that guest room, whatever that is, it's opening up the light and showing it for God to, to move. And that's, so where's the hope today? The hope is in the spirit of God coming as we turn to him and he does what we cannot do. He cleans up the corners that we cannot clean. He, he gives us power where we don't have power. And the hope today is also that he doesn't just 
leave us on our own. He puts us into a family. There's communal implications for this, for, for our church and for our life groups and for our friendships that are formed here, that there is power whenever we come together and we pray for one another. When we are accountable, we say, hey, I'm, I am struggling to see God as beautiful today in this area and instead I'm going here. And so I just wanna invite us to open the blinds to what God might say again. We prayed it, Holy Spirit, would you lead us here? Uh, and, and wanna open um, the floor for him to move in that way. And you might think, man, I, I'm way too far gone. You don't know my story. And there's this quote by Robert, Robert Alden, um, who is in the little house on the prairie. Uh, he's the real pastor that the character was based off of. Um, and he says, there is not enough darkness in the world to put out the light of even one single candle. There is not enough darkness in all the world to put out even one single candle. As you turn and you let the light of Christ begin to light up darkness, it, it doesn't have a chance. It doesn't have a chance. And uh, you might be here this morning and it might be an opportunity for you to say, hey, I've actually never made that decision to, to let the blinds open and to let God in. And we were made to have that light in our center, <laughs> that hole filled, but sin entered the world. And sin is basically saying, I wanna turn from God's way and go my own way. But God didn't leave us there. But God in his great love came towards us in Christ. And he was cast out into the utter darkness so that we might be brought back in. But what it takes for us is for us to turn and have a good eye, so to speak, to repent and say, I want that. I want you to be God of my life and I believe and have our affection stirred. And so if that's you this morning, we're gonna go ahead and as we do, we just give an opportunity for God to move, have you bow your heads and just have a private moment with the Lord, just asking God to search us. And if you're uh, ready today, to make that decision. And I would just say, it's awesome. This is the best decision you'll ever make. No matter if things are good or, or horrible in your life right now, you need them. You need them. And so if that is something that you're like, yes, that's me today, I just invite you to raise your hand, uh, not for us, but just to say, I'm in. I'm making a decision, Lord. I don't see any hands raised, but I just want to go ahead and, and lead us in a prayer that we would all pray. So repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for not hiding your light from us. Shine into our hearts again. Renew places that need renewal and hope. Come and show me who you are afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're gonna go to God by ending by taking communion at the Lord's table. So have the officiants come up and whenever you're ready, you can go up and take of the cup and the bread.
the sun.